0: we are rewinding back to episode 20. It was originally published July 22nd, 2008. So there's two things about today's episode. One, it will be somewhat short because the entire original episode was only um, 37 minutes long. And in the beginning of this episode, I'm talking about the election that's uh, currently uh, in progress, which was to date it McCain versus Obama. Yeah. Uh, I, I removed that because it really has no relevance, I think today it wasn 't anything super insightful. It was just basically um, a huge portion of the uh, the left saying that the uh, media was favoring McCain, which just was insane and it 's really not worth rehashing uh, so it 's probably going to be total with intro and all around a forty minute episode if that uh, next up, this is when I was doing the show in my car I was doing the show in my car. And this was before I even really perfected that, so the audio kind of blows. But this is this is what the show was built on, and this I think was one of the pivotal 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 episodes of the survival podcast. Uh, it was the first time I brought up this concept of from home to homestead, and. It, it became something that I think really kind of lit the early audience on fire. Like somebody actually pointing out, hey, you can take what is traditionally in reality called your biggest asset, but is really your biggest liability. In most, most uh, personal economies, the home is the largest liability that we really have. You put it in the asset side of the balance sheet, but it's, it's not. It's a debt. Most people live their entire life in debt to a mortgage. In fact, you know what mortgage means? Mortgage comes from two words. Mort is immortality or death, and gauge is Old English to grip. So a mortgage is to be under the grip of death, right? That's because basically you're going to owe until you die. That's the way it's seen uh, from the root of the word. And if you look at the way people live, you can see why. But that you actually could transform that. From the greatest liability you had until the greatest asset that you had. Understanding that if you looked at turning your home from a consumer into a producer, it could change not only your paradigm, but your life. And it really kind of set things on fire. I I would guess at this point in the show, I had less than 100, 150 people subscribe to the show at this point, which... Was pretty good for knocking out twenty episodes in you know what thirty five days or something like that. Let's well, it was originally what did I say July twenty second, so it was uh, twenty two days into the show. Twenty two days into the show, actually, really early on, uh, there were a couple of the very first shows that were like thirty minutes long or less. That I did two shows in one day to get a fee, to get this to get content out there, and actually, when somebody found the show in the feed in iTunes to go, oh, this guy's actually doing something, right? And uh, I settled into kind of a show a day. So in 22 days, I knocked out 20 shows. There's a business lesson in that. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this show. Uh, I really do. Um, and I hope you enjoy kind of taking a look back this far back into the journey that we've started on together. I'd like to say some things. You know, I'm on vacation over the next... Uh, 10 days, right? So uh, I'll be gone all next week, and then I'll be back that Monday. And, uh, you know, I, I I have a hard time actually letting go of the show for that long, and I'm glad I came up with the Rewind concepts. But I, what I want you to kind of watch is, as you watch the next, I guess, seven shows evolve as Rewind shows, we're going to take you back to a lot of basics. In fact, why don't I go ahead and, and give you the shows that you're going to be uh, hearing this, this, through this, uh, rewind series, in, in, in no particular order. I may change this around. We're going to do episode 200, 283 on emergency vehicle preps. Uh, and I think that's really important because a lot of the stuff that's gone on, like right now, I am not at Sanibel Island, Florida, which was my plan. I am at, parts undisclosed in some area where there's mountains. And that's all it will be, though. If you follow my Facebook and Twitter, uh, you might be able to figure out where I am about the time that I come home. Uh, I do that, guys, because when I travel, people always want to kind of hang out. And and frankly, I don't want to tell you no, but I'm going to tell you no. Because my wife puts up with so much crap, right? So much crap that I feel like when we go away on vacation, she gets me 100% to herself. And I, I just think that's the right thing to do. So anyway, what I was my point on that was so Sanibel Island I, I at this point I'm actually pre-recording these rewinds uh the weekend that Irma's hitting Florida. And it hasn't gotten even to Miami and the Keys yet. It's uh, a few hours out from the Keys at the point that I'm actually on the microphone right now. But we took a look at the fact that Fort Myers, which is right where Sanibel was, was expecting uh, storm surge of 9 to 15 feet and went, it's time to change the airline reservations and it is time to get a new hotel and go somewhere else. And we looked around and found what we could find in a place that we've never been before and we picked it. That's good for us, but kind of the point in that is how many people were displaced by Irma and Harvey. And I kind of felt like, it was a good time to go back to the basics of how do we keep our vehicle prepared for leaving? Because so many people don't leave because, frankly, they really don't know how to leave. I remember when I was a kid, um, a kid. I was out of the Army, right? so I was just 21, and I had done my walk on the Appalachian Trail, and I decided to come to Texas, and I had a friend that was about a year younger than me. And he, he he was there the day that like I packed up my little last car. And I had this little Mustang too, and I crammed everything I owned worth taking me to Texas in it, including an old school TV that used a uh, coat hanger as an antenna. That's that's how long ago that was. And uh, he said he said to me, he goes, you know what, Jack? I if I had to move like this, I wouldn't even know what to do what do you know you don't know what to do? You pack your shit up and you go. And I guess that was from being in the Army and spending you know, three months on the trail and living kind of as a transient on the trail that I just had that attitude. But when I think back to this, I think that people don't know what to do. So I'm going to play that episode. Another one, the episode that came right after that, uh, episode 284, 20 Simple Steps to Independence. Uh, That's a good back-to-basic show, 20 things that you can do to start building your independence And there's one of them that I probably wouldn't recommend today, but if it fits you, I still would. You'll find out what it is when that show comes up in your feed. I also have um, another show called uh, Why I Think the Way I Do, episode 521. And about that time in the show, the show was really hitting its stride. You know we were hitting numbers like 40,000 downloads at that point. And, you know, you're you're starting to really grow when you're hitting that. And I was starting to get a lot of people asking me, like, how do you... Know all this shit. How do you, and I, I think what was really doing was people were sending me questions that like, like today are routine, but at the time, since the show was so centered on prepping, they seemed a bit outside. And it was actually listener feedback and listener questions that took the show into such diversity. And like, how the hell can you figure this shit out? How, how, how do you always have this way? And, and I, I decided to do that show to kind of point out like, hey, look, here's, here's the, the worldview I'm coming from. So that you could understand my advice, not so that I'd be like, oh, look what I can do it was remember that from Stewart on the was it Saturday Night live or mad t v Look what I can do right anyway, it wasn't like that. it was more like so that you could understand my advice better and decide whether or not it fit your life. so we'll be playing that one for you in this uh rewind series. Then I have one on preserving the harvest it's it's october september, October, right so this is when everybody has the biggest part of their harvest coming in, so of course. Of course, that's what, you know, a good time to do that. And it's a back to basics show. And then this will probably round it out and be the last two in a row on Thursday and Friday of next week. Episodes 939 and 940, Steve and Harris on blackout preparations, how to power your house and your car and things like that, which I think fits right in with all the stuff that's been going on lately. So that's what's coming up. Again, today, from home to homestead. To date, the oldest rewind, rewind we've done. Episode twenty coming at you right now. Another day, another dollar
1: makes you wonder where you money went. Hi, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast: One Man's View of a Changing World and a Changing Reality, and what you can do to live a better life. Whether times get tough or even if they don't, today we're going to talk about the difference between having a home and having a homestead, and what homesteading used to be and what it has become today, and what it's really all about. Uh, let's talk about homesteads and, and what a modern homestead's kind of like, and some ideas I'm going to give you uh, for how you can begin to homestead your location, whether you live out in the country with 40 acres. Uh, or whether you live right in the heart of a uh, metropolis. and uh, but what I want to do is I want to start out to kind of give you a good, good frame of reference with what what a homestead was back in the homesteading era. back when America was still being settled, when there was uh, there was still great vast expanses of land that people could get their hands on for very little to nothing uh... by claiming it or uh... simply by buying it but buying it very very inexpensively because the government was actually encouraging the settlement of america back then uh... people taking raw land and turning it into something that produced typical homesteader in that era would uh... save up whatever uh, money they needed to buy their uh, piece of land and they would pack up as much provisions as they could get their hands on uh... they would squirrel away some money they would squirrel away supplies they would get everything together pack up the wife and the kids and uh hook up a wagon or a horse or whatever they were going to use to get where they were going, head out to a piece of land and begin the process of turning that raw land into something that produced and provided for them. They would put in small farms. They would build a small house. They would usually start out with a shack. that would eventually become a house, a, a full-sized house, that they would slowly add on. As a family grew, they would grow the house. They would work together as a family, and neighbors would work together to help each other build houses and barns. And, I mean, that's a great ideal, uh, ideal to follow, and I think some people are still taking that approach. And for the people that are, great. I think it's wonderful, and I hope that that, uh, more and more people figure out ways to live life that way. Uh, It's not quite the same as it used to be. It's not as easy. It's not as affordable to do that. But one big thing I want you to understand about those homesteaders, those original homesteaders, is that one thing I did not say they did was go to the bank and take out a mortgage for 30 years and build a house with it or buy a house with it. They stay as much out of debt as they can. Most of the agricultural people that ever did borrow money from banks in this country prior to uh, the modern era, so to speak, 1950 forward, uh, after World War II, the way they borrowed money was simply they borrowed money to uh, plant crops, to buy their seed, to buy their fertilizer, to to get stuff into the ground. And then at harvest time, these were short-term loans, they would pay those loans back, Uh, they would sell their crops at market and they would take that money and they would live off that money for the next year. And then the the, the process would repeat itself and hopefully the crops wouldn't fail. That was the borrowed money philosophy of people during that era. And a lot of people refused to even borrow money because they knew that they could end up with a bad year for crops and they would end up owing that money. So they would do whatever they could to make do without borrowing any money at all. And that philosophy is something I think we need to take into modern homesteading. Because to me, the difference between a house or a home and a homestead is that a homestead provides for you and a house you must provide for. So everything you do to move your house from something you provide for to something that provides for you moves you closer to what you would call a true homestead. And the number one thing that makes you have to provide for your house that makes your house a liability instead of an asset is your mortgage so it might shock you to realize that the first thing that I believe you need to do to turn your house into a homestead is get on a plan to eliminate the mortgage on your home now, if you're a renter, you know, some of the things I'm going to talk about doing here in a bit, you can do with your property uh, to produce some food and things like that. But you're in a situation where it probably makes sense to try to figure out how eventually to own your own piece of land, whether it's my, you know, remote land philosophy of finding a place out in the country, or if you, if you like city life, you want to live in the city or you want to live in the suburbs, to so find something that works for you there. Uh, And and buy And I'll tell you what I think now is a decent time to buy And in the next year It's going to get even a better time to buy Because The real estate market's on its back And assuming you can get a loan If that's what you need to do uh, And assuming you can get a loan That's low enough That you can pay it off early It may be a really good time To make a move uh, in about a year to a year and a half. Now, again, anytime I give you financial advice, it's not advice, it's one man's opinion. you got to make your own decision on things like that. That's just the way I see it right now, that real estate's getting cheaper and cheaper. Uh, the market's continuing to go down. It's not going to come back anytime soon, so it's a good time to start shopping around. And the more shopping you do, and it's free to shop for real estate folks, all you got to do is look. The more you look, the more you'll understand the intrinsic real value of property. Watch properties. Watch them go on market. Watch how long it takes them to sell. Watch the price that they go on sale for and the price they finally get bought for. You'll begin to get a very intrinsic understanding of what property is really worth in your area. And when you do decide to pull the trigger, you'll make a smart decision. But that's what I believe you need to do. You either need to be paying off some remote place that you're eventually going to go to and live uh, mortgage-free and debt-free, or you need to be, if you're going to stay put, you need to be figuring out how to pay that mortgage off fast. And a little bit goes a long way when it comes to poor, 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 uh, paying down a mortgage quickly. I want to tell you the kind of the root of mortgage. Mort is for mortality, gauges for grip. To be in a mortgage is literally to be under the grip of death. Okay? So that's, that's kind of the root of mortgage, and it puts it in perspective for you. Because a mortgage is something that's very difficult to pay off, so whatever you need to do to earn more money, do it, and put something extra toward that house. Get that house paid down. Uh, Dave Ramsey says the uh, the paid off home mortgage should become the new status symbol, replacing a BMW. Okay, in your in your driveway. Instead of having a big beautiful BMW in your driveway, what you should have is the title to your home. I think there's a lot of wisdom there, and it's a good way to start turning a house into homestead. Moving on from there to some more practical things that you can actually do uh, to make your, your property produce for you, whether you owe against it or not. I think it can come no surprise to anybody that I'm a huge fan of gardening. I did a whole podcast on just on what's called the Three Sisters Garden, which was a garden that the Native Americans uh, uh, produced most of their food with, and it was a combination of corn, beans, and squash uh, put together in a holistic manner. Uh, where the squash covers the ground and it holds in the moisture and it reduces the amount of water uh, that the plants need to keep the roots from getting too hot in the heat of summer. Uh, the beans produce natural nitrogen on their roots because they're a legume and they nitrify soil. Corn is very nitrogen-dependent, uh, so the beans help provide for the corn so the, the corn can grow. And when these three things are put together and cooked together in the traditional version of succotash, not that yucky uh of beans and corn stuff they call succotash in school cafeterias uh, that you may remember from your childhood, uh, that, that, is, uh, that that is a complete meal. It gives you everything you need to survive. And it's a, it's a great little garden to grow at home. I want to talk about some other things that you can do, and especially if you have no gardening, you're just starting out, some things you can do to kind of get yourself off the ground with gardening because what i found is that when people go out, put seed in the ground, and harvest it, take it inside their homes and consume it, it changes the way they think. You know, I listened to a guy on YouTube, I keep mentioning this, this, uh, the Vex guy that, uh, throws 6,000 pounds of food on a tenth of an, or a fifth of an acre. Uh, he said that when you start to produce food, it's actually dangerous. When you start to produce food, you start to realize that you might become free. And to me, that is exactly what homesteading is about. It's about turning your property, turning your home into something that provides you freedom. Now, the problem for people is that gardening takes time. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort. If you start small and slowly grow a garden, what happens is as you build that momentum, you get more and more uh, incentivized. This is what I'm looking for. Again, when I'm thriving, sometimes it's hard to find a word. But the word, I guess the word I'm looking for is motivated. You get more and more motivated because something, you did something and it worked. So, to me, it makes sense to start off with things that produce very quickly. And the the fastest producing thing you can grow in your garden or even in containers are various greens, different types of baby lettuces, mescaline mixes, and things like that. So, that's where I recommend you start, simply because a lot of these things, put a seed in the ground, you water it. Seven days later, you have a little sprout. Uh, 25 days after that, in many instances, 35 days in some others, there's enough leaves growing. You can go out and do your first harvest. And then these types of plants continue to produce. And what I mean by that is you cut off the outer leaves and then more grow. And you might get three or four harvests from one little plant. And then I I believe a great thing to do with that type of plant is what's called succession planting. I mean, the problem with lettuce uh, is that when you harvest it, it doesn't necessarily store very well. It's something you want to eat very, very fresh. And if you let it grow too long, it'll start getting too big and too hard and go to seed, and it's not really very uh, tasty anymore. You, you like these little greens, these little baby these mixed greens, which are wonderful for salads, um, are best eaten when they're young. So what you do is, let's say, plant some seeds. Two weeks later, when those seeds are half grown, plant some more. Don't, don't overplant. Don't plant Don't plant too many. Plant less than you, than you really want to at first, right? Because if you plant too little, you can always plant more. These things go fast. Again, it'll start to give you an idea of how much you can use and keep running. But two weeks later, plant a little bit more. Then uh, wait about two, to three more weeks and plant another. A- and by then you should start to realize, like, how long you're going to be able to produce from one group, uh, when it's going like, to kind of be time to, like, okay, that, that group of plants has gone and run its course. I'm going to pull them up and throw their roots uh, in the compost pile and start over. And you'll start to get a running tally of how much you and your family consume. And that's a very easy thing to do, and it can be done in a very small area, a very small raised bed. If you have flowers and typical plants, any place that gets a little bit of sun and some moderate shade is a good place to grow these greens and lettuces. These things usually do not do good in the heat of summer. They get a little bit bitter. Uh, If if you've ever done any wild foraging, you know that if you want to forage dandelion leaves, for instance, if you pick them out in the middle of a field where they're in the sun, they're extensively bitter. But if you find them growing in a spot that's mostly shaded, uh, they don't get as bitter. They're a lot more tasty. And the commercial dandelion leaves that we buy from the supermarket that are part of these spring mixes, they're actually grown under artificial shade, man-made shade, and uh, in kind of like a greenhouse environment except that it's open. Uh, kind of like if you go to Home Depot and you go out to the garden spot and they have a huge black netting stuff over the top that lets the light in, but yet it it minimizes its impact. That's how they grow that stuff. So a lot of your greens will do better, especially in the summer. If you're growing them in the spring when it's cool out, you you can put them right out there in the sun and they'll do well, but if you want them to stay tasty, you can kind of move to some shade gardening. Or if you're doing some other large plants like peppers, tomatoes, and things like that, as they grow up, you can plant some of these greens, intermix them in there. They'll do just great, kind of sheltered by that larger plant. So that, to me, is a great place to start. Moving on from there, to me it makes the most sense to then start planting things that you buy. Things that you buy and that you use, you're already spending money on. Uh, and some of the best crops for the home gardener that are reliable producers and easy to grow are beans, tomatoes, peppers, and summer squash. If you eat any of those, start growing some. Bell peppers are going up, up, up in price. They're getting more and more expensive. They're a great crop. I used to grow them in Pennsylvania, and now I grow them in Texas, and that speaks miles for, you know, how uh, resilient they are into the different climates they can grow. Learn about the specific varieties of peppers that do the best in your area. You know, go buy a local farmer's market. Start buying some of your produce from local growers and talk to them. Ask them what variety of pepper they're growing. What's doing well this year, what's not? You'll start to get an understanding intrinsically of the area you live in and what produces best. And if you start buying local produce, you'll start making friends with people that do this at least part-time for a living. You'll start to associate with people that have a mindset that you do, and it'll help you go further along. Tomatoes. I, again, I have never found a place I couldn't grow a tomato. Used to grow them in northern Pennsylvania. Now I grow them in Texas. Uh, we had a Texas we had a salmonella scare with uh, tomatoes this year. Uh, now I just heard today that we're having a salmonella scare with jalapeno peppers. Now I just grew. Uh, I have like twelve jalapeno plants in the ground, and I was almost going. You know, I really should have used that land for something else, because you know, jalapenos are pretty inexpensive at the store. And I could have grown something that maybe cost me a little bit more money while I'm still you know, putting more garden beds out and my space is a little bit restricted. Uh, then I heard this and I went, that's perfect because this weekend I'm going to go out there and I'm going to pick a dozen really nice uh, jalapenos, slice them up, uh, throw some cheese and bacon on them and roast them on my grill over some mesquite coals, and I'm going to eat that and I'm not going to worry about being sick. That's another reason to start doing this and, and buying from local uh, producers. Uh, They're not sure where these uh, peppers got contaminated, folks, but they think that it may have been in a warehouse, not necessarily in a field. All right, And during transportation that they became contaminated. And they think it's possible that the same thing that happened with tomatoes was the same way. Now they're saying maybe it was never the tomatoes, maybe it was the peppers. All of these things, it just drives you nuts. Like they don't know what the heck's going on. And you just wonder if somewhere out there they, we have a farm in Mexico or something uh, that's, that's throwing some you know, crud fertilizer out there that's contaminated. And that's where this is coming from. It's very difficult to figure this out, but all I know is our food supply is being infiltrated by genetically altered food, and it's being infiltrated by contaminated food. And that's more and more reason to grow your own food and buy from local producers. To me, those two things are intertwined. If we start to buy from local producers, if we start to go to farmer's markets, we start to create more independence, not just for ourselves, but for our region, for our area. Right? And the homesteading is about making it a better life for you and for your neighbor. That's what homesteading is really about. So think about that as well. Uh, tomatoes, just again, wonderful crop. Uh, and, and learn to do things with tomatoes beyond just slicing a tomato up in a salad or putting it on a burger. Learn to make your own sauces. You grow some jalapenos and some tomatoes and some cilantro. Cilantro grows anywhere, too. It's another crop that you want to, don't get too much sun on because it'll burn. You know, uh, But if, you, know, you grow your cilantro, and this year it's cilantro, and next year it produces these little seed berries that are coriander. But you take that cilantro, chop it up, throw it in with your tomatoes, maybe one or two jalapenos, make some salsa, jar it up. Learn to can. Learn, learn the canning process the, you know, so that you can store food without having to have it all fit in your uh, refrigerator. Maybe learn to make some different types of tomato sauces. You, know, you can mix some peppers and garlic in with that. These are just different things, some different ideas that I'm giving you because you'll be amazed what you can produce. If you plant six good tomato plants and, you know, you have a family let's say four, you will absolutely be astounded by the middle of summer how many tomatoes you have. And if you live in a climate with long days and and good weather, where tomato plants can live way into the fall, you'll be shocked how long these things continue to produce. So figure out ways to use them and figure out ways to give them away. And talk to these local producers at these farmer's markets. Ask them if they would like maybe to do some produce exchanges with you. What do they not produce? What would they like to have? Especially if you start using heirloom vegetables. And heirloom vegetables we're going to do a whole show on very soon. But these are the vegetables that are not hybridized. They're not altered by man so that when you save their seed for next year, you can plant the seed again instead of buying more seed. To me, being able to save and reproduce your seeds is a huge part of developing more and more independence. So that's yet another uh, uh, thing to think about with the small-scale homesteading. But this gardening process is something that, you, again, start growing it slowly. But, again, your friends are beans of all kinds. Bush beans, pole beans, string beans, shell beans, you name it. Beans grow very well, And they will make the land land more fertile. So plant beans. And if you plant beans in one place this year, plant them someplace else next year and move something else into that bed. Always move your beans around because one, if you plant them consecutively too often, you can get too much nitrogen in your soil. And if you get too much nitrogen, for instance, with pepper plants, these plants instead of growing a couple of feet tall, might grow four feet tall, but not produce any peppers. So you can over-nitrify soil. So move your beans around. Squash. If you can't grow squash, you're doing something really wrong. There's something wrong with your soil, something wrong with your technique because squash is one of the easiest things in the world. You plant a few zucchini plants. You'll be throwing zucchinis at people by midsummer because you'll have more than you can possibly use. So these are the things to start out with. Um, another thing that you can do to make your home uh, more of a homestead is to begin to figure out ways to use solar energy. And there's a podcast that I'll link to from this one if you haven't heard it yet called The Individual Benefits of Green Energy where I talk about how these environmentally friendly energy sources really can help you uh, out in living a better life for yourself, don't worry so much that you're going to reduce your carbon footprint. Your individual carbon footprint is not making the polar bears' ice melt. That's a lie. It's designed to to manipulate us into a global taxation situation. If you're a big global warming nut, please do more research about the opposing view. I'm not going to try to convince you. All I'm going to say is don't just believe what one side tells you. Really look at the evidence on both sides and make an informed decision on that. But solar energy can give you a lot of independence because it reduces how much electricity you consume. So, I mean, everybody would like to live off-grid, but if you put in, let's say, a grid-tied system, something that produces electricity for you, feeds the additional electricity back to the grid, and has the grid as a backup when you're not producing enough for yourself. Even if you cut your energy consumption from conventional sources by a third, that's a third off your electric bill, which is only going to go up. More things you can do to make your house environmentally friendly make you more independent. That's the reason to do them. Solar cooking with a solar oven. Great thing to do. Uh, that's one of my next little projects I'm going to do for myself is build myself a good solar oven and start to make some of my meals, out, especially on weekends when we're home all day, in a solar oven. That means I'm less dependent on the electrical grid. Again, everything you do to turn where you live into something that produces for you versus something you have to produce for makes it more of a homestead. All right, so these are just... The things that, you know, like anybody can do these things. Start collecting rainwater. I mean, it doesn't take a genius, if you if you don't have a budget to have somebody do it for you, to figure out how to put in a good gutter system if you don't have gutters on your roof. Put in a good gutter system, run those downspouts to collection barrels, right? And you'll be amazed at how much one rain will fill up a barrel. Because your roof is a lot bigger than you think it is Another thing that you can do And it's something I'm looking into uh, Learning more about Is is smaller houses Now uh, I already kind of own a place up in Arkansas It's going to be my homestead So I'm not going to go making the house smaller So to speak uh, but uh, it's given me some ideas already. One of the real uh, tenets of smaller buildings is that when you have a smaller building, you use less electricity. So since you use electricity less, it costs less. So if you have solar, it does more. And if you're buying from the grid, either partially or fully, you use less. Well. This got me thinking about in even a bigger house, if that's what you have or it's what you need or it's what you want, how much of that house doesn't get used? And if we do smart things like well-insulated doors and make sure that they seal up very well, and when we're not using those when we close the door and shut off the air vents, how much of a difference can we make with that alone? Uh, If you are a couple and you don't have kids, and the kids have left the house or you haven't had any yet, and you sleep in a small room, does it really make sense? You know, Like I said, I won't sit in my house and sweat. I don't care what the energy uh, people say. When I'm at home and I'm in my house and I've done all this work to provide for myself, I'm not going to go to sleep at night and lay in bed with sweat on my neck. So I'm going to run the air conditioner. But how many homes are set up to where if you made the, the master bedroom where you sleep, nice and uh, not airtight because you don't want to suffocate, but just well insulated? and close the door, and instead of running the main air unit, if at night while you slept you run in a very small window unit during the hottest months of the year, how much energy could that save you? I don't know if that works yet. That's something I'm going to have to experiment with and test, but it's something I'm going to do because it makes a lot of sense to me. Now I'm cooling this you know, 10 by 14 room instead of a 2,000 square foot home. So these are some other ideas that you can use to make your house, again, into more of a homestead. Remember, it's always about how can I make my home a producer instead of a consumer for me. Because the biggest liberating thing in the world you can do is have land and property that provides for you. Because what's the alternative? And this is really what got me onto this subject, and it's what I'm going to conclude with. The alternative is where you have a home that you work and half of your income goes to pay for your home. You know, I have two houses and that might seem extravagant, but the, comp- the combined mortgage on my two properties is probably one-fifth what most people in my income bracket would pay for a single mortgage. We've lived well below our means. Uh, if, if I wanted to change my life uh, and just say, you know what, I want to go to a blue-collar job and, and frame houses or do landscaping or whatever, if I decided I didn't love what I was doing anymore uh, enough, I could go do that and we could still pay all our bills. So I'm not... Tied to my home but I suggest you don't be either And you know I have a message right now For you The really young people The people that are still in college And are getting through college Just gotten out of college Because I've been shocked At how many of you guys Have gotten in touch with me And said I'm a college student Or I'm just starting college Or I've just gotten out of college I, And I'm encouraged And I'm surprised I didn't think That there were that many young people That were thinking about these things Not just from an eco You know Friendly Because I know that's a big thing With young people today But they're really thinking about How I you live my life better How I can build the life that I really want, but taking life seriously enough to live it carefree. And that's that's a unique thing to think about, taking life seriously so you can live it carefree. I want to speak to you right now, especially those of you who are in school. Don't let that student debt, that student loan debt, and don't let the credit card companies enslave you in debt. I just heard somebody on the Dave Ramsey show a few weeks ago. She had a degree in communications. That means if she comes to work for a company like mine, and I hire her, I'm going to pay her a starting salary somewhere between thirty dollars and $40,000. Her student loan debt, $150,000. That woman is going to be enslaved to that debt for 30 years. It could have brought a beautiful, that, that same money over that same time period, could have brought a beautiful home. And what's she doing for a living right now? She's working as a nanny. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. You do what you love. That's what my message is to people. Do what you love and you never have to work a day in your life. But you don't need $150,000 worth of student debt and a degree in communications from a prestigious institution that's still not going to get you a job to be a nanny. Think about what you really want to do. I'm not saying don't invest in your education. I'm just saying invest smart in your education. If you're not in school yet, save money. Go to school. You know, Dave Ramsey, I heard him give great advice to a young young guy that called in. He was 18 years old, summertime. He was looking for ways to earn his money to go to school to take out little or no debt. And what Dave told him is, okay, first of all, don't go work at McDonald's or Wendy's and make minimum wage. Go cut grass. You'll make more money that way. Also, consider that you have a job this summer. Your job is to apply for 1000 Scholarships, minimum. Learn all of them thereafter. Apply for them all. If you do that, if you look down as a job, and you you put in, you know, 100 hours of work into that, but you get $10,000, all right, out of it, then you just make $10 an hour if it's tax-free and keeps you out of debt for $10,000. That was wonderful advice. So if you're young, don't enslave yourself with massive amounts of debt. Understand right now, it's not just gonna go away. It's gonna be there for a long time. And if you're already in it, start working to pay it off now. Don't go into massive debt to buy a home. Find a home that meets your needs. Focus on the land and what the land can provide above the structure itself. Keep the debt down. It'll keep you free. It'll let you pay it off faster. It'll give you independence quicker. Because the, the, the difference between a home and a homestead is most Americans live in a home, not a homestead. And because of that home, they're physically tied to the location. They cannot leave. They have to stay there. They have massive debt against it. They cannot walk away from a job that they hate, where maybe they're abused, taken for granted. They'll look for another job. They'll try to find another job. But maybe they're, they have specialized into a sector where they don't have a lot of places to go or would require moving across the country, and they don't have options. Or they're a blue-collar worker that's kind of salary capped at $50,000 and they're living in a house that you shouldn't buy when you have a household income of $50,000. All right? got to think about how to, one, pay it off, and two, how to stay within your means. If you do that, you make your house an asset. You make it something you love. You make it something you love to go home to. And I watch these shows, like these shows like House Hunters. It's a cool show. I enjoy it. But I watch people that I look at and I hear, well, so-and-so works for the city as a mechanic and his wife works in customer service. And I go, okay, these guys make $70,000 combined or less. And they're looking at $350,000 homes. And I go, yeah, we're in a mortgage crisis. What a shock. So that's the big difference. Again, make the land produce for you. Make the home produce for you and create independence. And if you're young, you have the opportunity now to set that pathway up for yourself. And I'm so encouraged by the young people that are tuning into my show. And encourage me further. Tell me what you're doing. Tell me your plans. I'll tell your story on this show. I want to encourage others. And if you're you know 15, you're going, hey, am I getting left out here? No. No, because the wisdom of the older generations needs to be handed down to our youth. And if you're an older person, I want to speak to you and I want to tell you something. You may have written off these younger people, but I've learned in doing this show that there's just as many of them out there as there are people in my age bracket and the older generation, that it's time for us to reach across these generations to each other for that common sense wisdom that our grandparents taught us to again be handed down to our children. For us to join together in doing these things, and sharing these things. And I believe that, you know, technology is blamed for a lot of our ills, but the Internet is bringing us back together as a society. Because it's letting people do videos in that backyard garden, post it on YouTube, and be seen by others. And as soon as you see somebody else do something, you go, I can do that too. You didn't think you could, but when you see somebody else do it, when you hear that they did it, when you read a blog that says they did it, you see pictures of what they've done, it inspires each other. So my biggest message with this homesteading thing is share what you're doing with other people. Get involved in your communities. Be involved with each other. Tell your story. Tell me your story. And I'll tell your story to others. Because together, we do make a difference. We make a difference, and we don't try to save the world We save ourselves. We save ourselves from a trap. We save ourselves from a lifetime of mortgage payments, of student loan payments, of credit card payments. And by saving ourselves, eventually, we make a difference worldwide. It all starts with you, the individual. So I hope this has been an engaging and informative podcast. I've always given you some ideas about what you can do about the home. Remember our listener appreciation contest. Again, just go to the survivalpodcast.com and you can register for it there. Please help me grow this podcast. It's something I really believe in. It's something I'm having a great deal of satisfaction in doing. And remember, you can turn your house into a homestead. And I don't care if you live in downtown. And you have a roof garden, You can make a difference for yourself Look for ways that you can do that Stay out of debt Stay true to what you know is right in your heart If you trust your instincts You won't make these mistakes You'll know that it doesn't make sense To spend $150,000 for an education To get you a $40,000 job Stay true to your heart Stay true to each other And tune in tomorrow for another edition Of the Survival Podcast Where You can scream. You can holler, it really doesn't matter, cause it all gets
0: spent.